Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Before we begin, there are a couple of things I'd like to mention. Tomorrow on the 8th of July at 10am Sydney time, I'm going to be doing a book launch for Shockingly Good Stories, the book that's based on this podcast. The launch is going to be live on Instagram, so please come along and tune in and watch me do this launch. Who knows what's going to happen because it will be live and I do tend to have accidents and clumsy things where I fall over myself. So that could be fun. If you're overseas, though, please triple check the time difference, remembering that Australia is so far ahead of North America. It's not just going to be a different hour. It's going to be a different day as well. So if it's 10 a.m. our time, if you're in America, that's going to be sometime in the evening or late afternoon on the 7th, the day before. It's very confusing. But if you look it up on your phone on the world time thing, it'll be able to sort it out for you. Okay. Also, during the launch, I'll be taking questions. So if you have a question for me, email it to me ahead of time at raspratt at nannypiggins.com. All right. I can't do that thing where I know some people, they're clever with technology and they're doing something live on Instagram and something will pop up on their screen and then they can read it while they're talking. I can't do that. My brain does not multitask. So you've got to email me the question um, beforehand and then I'll read it out and I'll say, oh, such and such from this place has asked me this question and it will be answered for you. So that's how it's going to work. Okay. We've done all the announcements, so now we can do what we're really here for, which is a story. Okay, here we go. Today's story is Pig in Boots, as told by Nanny Piggins. It was a lovely summer's day, so after a busy morning of running away from the truancy officer, Nanny Piggins and the children were relaxing on deck chairs in their back garden while eating banana splits. The children could not have been happier or more content because Nanny Piggins' recipe for banana splits was the best in the world. And that's not just her opinion. It was a scientific fact. You see, normally a banana split was a dessert made of a banana with several scoops of vanilla ice cream on top and garnished with crushed peanuts. But Nanny Piggins had had the brilliant idea of replacing the vanilla ice cream with chocolate ice cream then replacing the crushed nuts with crushed chocolate, and finally replacing the banana with a great big block of chocolate. And the children had to agree that this variation on the banana split was delicious. They were just savouring the last spoonfuls and enjoying the beautiful, blissful sensation of the warmth of the sun, combined with the raging sugar high, when Nanny Piggins struck up a conversation. Have I ever told you about my great aunt Essie? Um, said Michael. It was getting hard to keep track of all of Nanny Piggins' fabulously glamorous relatives. The children had long wished they'd started keeping a written record, perhaps with a wall chart and illustrations, when they first met Nanny Piggins and started hearing about these amazingly spectacular women. 
But it was too late to start now, and as Nanny Piggins so often said, it was probably best not to keep a written record in case they should ever be called upon to testify in court. Obviously, they would have to burn the wall chart so it couldn't be used against their nanny, and setting fire to things never went well, if for no other reason that it always gave Nanny Piggins ideas about blasting things, and the next thing you knew you were borrowing a cannon from a war memorial and trying to beat a guinea pig in a blasting race. I don't think you've ever mentioned her before, conceded Samantha. Well, have you ever heard the story of Puss in Boots? asked Nanny Piggins. Oh, yes, said all three children, relieved to hear her mention something they were familiar with. Well, that story is a load of old cobblers, said Nanny Piggins. It is, asked Derek. Totally fabricated, said Nanny Piggins. Really, asked Samantha. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. You see, it's a French fairy tale, and the French are always doing reprehensible things if they think it adds glamour. Very superficial people. Nanny Piggins, said Michael. I don't think you can say that about an entire nationality. Not even if it's true, asked Nanny Piggins. Especially if it's true, said Samantha. Well, I've been to their museums and art galleries. I know for a fact there are way too many naked ladies for my liking, said Nanny Piggins. I thought all art galleries were like that, said Michael. What is it with artists, asked Nanny Piggins. If the percentage of naked women in real life matched the percentage of naked women in paintings, there would be a lot of very cold women walking around. Well, they usually lie around in paintings, said Michael. Yes, that's right, said Nanny Piggins. So there'd be a lot of cold women not getting anything done. Who would chase the ice cream vans? Who would visit the cake shops? Who would eat the chocolate if the women just sat in bed all day? It's an irresponsible representation. It's probably just because it's easier to paint someone sitting down than someone being blasted out of a cannon, observed Michael. True, I suppose, conceded Nanny Piggins. Anyway, I digress. Puss in Boots is an outrageous falsehood. For a start, it should be called Pig in Boots because my great aunt was not a cat. She was staggeringly beautiful, so of course she was a pig. But she did wear boots, right? asked Derek. Well, I suppose you could call them that, said Nanny Piggins, although she always referred to them as Jimmy Choo ankle cuts with satin crystal embellished mesh. Did she talk? asked Michael. We Piggins don't talk, said Nanny Piggins. We converse. Sometimes we beguile and occasionally we denounce. Did she converse? asked Derek. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. That's how it all got started. You see, there was a very rich miller. Whoever would have thought money could be made from grinding wheat into flour, but apparently it could. You do need flour to make cake, observed Derek. True, conceded Nanny Piggins. It's hard to believe that something as wonderful to eat as cake comes from something as disappointing to eat as flour. Anyway, he was rich and then he died. Oh no, said Samantha. Don't be sad, said Nanny Piggins. He's fictional, so he didn't feel anything. And him dying is important for getting the story started. Because in his will, he left something to each of his three sons. To the eldest, he left his mill. To the middle son, he left his cart. And to the youngest son, he left his pig. That's an odd arrangement, said Boris. I know, said Nanny Piggins. The oldest two could use their inheritance to make a living, but the youngest could not. The miller did it to punish the youngest son. What did the youngest son do wrong? asked Derek. Was he so handsome that his father was jealous? asked Samantha. No, said Nanny Piggins. Again, your obsession with physical appearances. 
Yes, he was devilishly handsome, but that wasn't why his father was so spiteful. He was angry with his youngest son because he was vegetarian. That made him angry, asked Derek. Yes, said Nanny Piggins. It's something weird about the human psyche. When a person decides to do something for personal, moral reasons, it gives the people around them cognitive dissonance. They see it as an implied criticism for what they choose to eat, and it makes them angry. Really, asked Michael. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. You humans have a never-ending run of complex psychological hang-ups and deep-seated guilt issues when it comes to food. So that's why he gave his youngest son a pig. I don't follow, said Michael. He wanted the boy to grow so hungry he would be forced to compromise his vegetarian principles and eat the pig, explained Nanny Piggins. Wow, that's cruel, said Derek. Fathers in the olden story days had a lot of issues to work through, said Nanny Piggins. And there was no therapy or Oprah back then, so they had no way of knowing how to cope with their problems. So the poor boy was cast out into the world with nothing more than a talking pig, said Nanny Piggins. They walked for several days, searching for work, but there was none to be found. He was a principled boy, and he didn't for a moment consider eating his pig, although he did cast sidelong glances at the Jimmy Choo ankle boots and mention the idea of selling them on eBay. But Aunt Essie stomped hard on his feet and soon put a stop to that idea. The boot had a stiletto heel, and it was particularly painful to be stomped on by a stiletto heel. After a full week, the boy did begin to smell, so Aunt Essie stopped and insisted that he had to take a bath in the river because she didn't mind tramping the countryside, but she refused to tramp with someone who smelled and had not been left any deodorant by his miserly father's will. So the boy stripped down and jumped in the river. All the way to the Nooney Rudy, asked Michael. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. Aunt Essie was a stickler for hygiene. As she was waiting for him to scrub behind his ears, she spotted a carriage coming along the road. And this carriage was so ornate and ostentatious. It was surrounded by so many outriders and escorts. She knew at once that this must be the carriage belonging to the king. And at that moment, she had a brilliant idea. She stole the boy's clothes and hid them in a bush, then waved down the carriage and called out to the king, pleading for him to help her master. She said she was owned by the Duke of Banbury Skittlekins, and he had just been robbed of all his money and clothes by a band of 50 highway ruffians. The king was horrified. His daughter was travelling with him, and she was very beautiful, so he was deeply concerned that the ruffians were still on the loose. He sent his servants to help this duke and dress him in his own fine rig clothes, then bring him up to the carriage so they could give him a ride home. When the boy got to the carriage, he really did look a treat. The king's purple robe suited him very well. He looked so good that, of course, the princess fell in love with him at first sight. Princesses were always doing things like that in the olden story days. It was bound to happen. The only men she ever saw were the outriders, and they were always on horseback, so she only ever saw their bottoms as they passed the window of the carriage. And for many men, this is not their finest angle. "'Let us take you home,' said the king. "'Where do you live?' "'Ah, um,' said the boy. He didn't want to lie, but he didn't think that the king would be impressed by a bush on the side of the road, which was where he had slept the night before. Aunt Essie quickly looked out the window and pointed to the first building she could see, a distant castle on a hilltop. "'He lives over there,' said Aunt Essie. "'Ooh, that's a lovely residence,' said the king. "'And you are a bachelor, you say?' The boy nodded. 
The princess blushed, although the boy was secretly terrified because he didn't own that castle and he had no idea who did. But he couldn't imagine that whoever it was would like a king, a princess, a talking pig and a penniless itinerant miller's son turning up at their door. When they arrived at the castle, Aunt Essie said, Hang on, just wait here in the carriage. I'll pop my head in and make sure the servants remember to do the vacuuming. She leapt out of the carriage and ran up to the front door. Now, it just so happened that inside the castle lived a real duke, said Nanny Piggins. And he liked eating bacon, and that was the end of Aunt Essie, asked Michael. Don't be ridiculous, said Nanny Piggins. He was a duke. He had impeccable manners. He would never dream of eating a house guest, no matter how delicious they might be or how expensive their designer ankle boots should appear. But this duke was thoroughly tired of living in a great big castle. There was always so much walking to do. From the kitchen to the dining room to the bedroom, he'd sometimes get 30,000 steps in a day just from pottering around the house. He would get a 1,000 steps in if he just had to get up to go to the bathroom in the night. So when a precocious pig turned up at his doorstep and just flat out asked him, "'Can we please have your castle?' He didn't even hesitate. He cried, yes, gave her a big hug and a kiss, then rubbed his foot because she'd stomped on his toes for presumptuousness. Are you sure, asked Aunt Essie. She'd read many fairy tales and she didn't want this one to degenerate into a multi-generational vengeance tale. Oh, yes, said the Duke. I've been looking at tiny houses on the internet. I'll buy myself one of those and park it in a nice spot in the forest down by the lake. It'll be a much better life for me in my retirement. So they shook hands on it. The Duke hurried out the back door as Aunt Essie ushered the boy, the princess and the king inside the front door. The king was super impressed with everything he saw. All the princess's previous boyfriends had been annoying boys with long, floppy hair, no job ambitions, and who wore pantaloons that hung too low while listening to dreadful music. He was an actual duke with muscle tone like he'd actually done a day's work in his life, and not to mention who owned a talking pig. He was a deeply impressive boy. Would you like to marry my daughter? asked the king. Dad, exclaimed the princess, you're being embarrassing. We've only just met. This lad is a catch, said the king. You'd be a fool not to snatch him up. No, said the boy. What, cried Aunt Essie. I can't in good conscience, said the boy. I may look fabulous in the fine clothes, and I may have inexplicably been gifted this spectacular home. But I am just a boy, with nothing more to my name than a talking pig and the ability to mill flour. The princess gasped. Oh, you can mill flour, she asked. Yes, said the boy. I grew up in a mill. I know how to bake cake, said the princess. And my people love to eat cake, said the king. This is a match made in heaven. So they got married, the boy made flour, the girl made cake, and it was soon the happiest kingdom in all the land. The end time for bed. It's still the middle of the day, Derek pointed out. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. Well, then... Time to go back to the ice cream shop because I've finished my banana split. Come along. And that was the end of the story. The end. Thank you for listening to support this podcast. Just buy a book by me, R.A. Spratt. There's lots to choose from, from shockingly good stories to Friday Barnes or Nanny Piggins or the Pesky Kids series. You can order any of these through your local bookstore or go to my website, raspratt.com, and click on the book depository banner. They have all my titles and free international shipping. That's it for now. Until next time, goodbye.